0: You know that mile-long warm-up jog at the start of practice? It's doing more harm than good. Find out why. Also, learn the purpose of the knee lift in a pitcher's delivery, and how Aroldis Chapman can throw even faster, believe it or not. All this and more in Season 4, Episode 12 of The Fix. pitching the fix we are in episode 12 of season four we are in the first week of september 2017 with baseball pitching motion troubleshooter angel borelli and angel how are you doing out there on the west coast
1: uh, we're doing great how are you doing
0: i'm doing pretty good it's not quite as uh, hot as it's been out on, on your end over here it's, it's actually cooled off a little bit it's almost like autumn is coming and i'm i'm not ready for autumn right now
1: yeah, no, it's been 115 degrees here in the north, the Northern Bay Area, which is unheard of, but that's what's going on. They even had to cancel baseball practices. It was that hot.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I say I'm not ready for the fall, but I know that there are a lot of coaches right now getting ready for fall ball. And we have had such a great response from the last two episodes of our, of our fall ball reboot that we've decided to do a third. And... So we've gotten a lot of responses from the coaches from the first two episodes, and from what I understand, Angel, you've gotten some questions via email that you want to address today.
1: Yes. Well, just as we did in the last uh, in the last uh, podcast, we had to do some cleanup work on the running thing. Well, we uh, after the second uh, little uh, thing I did on running, uh, where we got questions, a bunch of other questions came in, and they were all the same question, and it really showed me how important this topic is so here's the question i got about running and this probably i got three emails in a row probably within 24 hours of the episode being published but um and they all asked this they were all from fathers and here was the the context of the question if the co if our if my son is being forced to run endurance by his coach, can he on his own, go ahead and do the kind of running that a pitcher should do to help, you know, improve his power and, you know, develop him correctly. And so that told me number one, that, you know, people are really listening to this. And, and it is, you know, of course, I'm delivering fact, but also to the fear that sometimes you get when you do know that your son is not maybe doing the things he should be doing, because maybe the program isn't up to date. So, uh, first of all, in in. To, I of course answered all them but if three people wrote I know it must have been in the heads of other people. So here's the deal. So first of all coaches that don't know about this don't hate them for it. Coaches don't always have an avenue to ha- being updated on science. That's why if you have coaches that you know send them this podcast link because this is I'm I'm bridging the knowledge from science to baseball. So your coach is just behind in the text Okay, that's the first thing. Secondly, always feel free to, if there's some way of doing it, your coach can contact me or whatever if he is interested in some updated information, even without having to listen to the podcast. So that's just a general thing. I'm always willing to educate coaches, but be careful not to step on them in a a way where they feel like, you know, because they obviously think they're doing the best thing. But in answer to the basic question, unfortunately, and they've done tons of research on this too, if you're training for endurance, which is what endurance runs are, about running a mile or so. If you're training for that, and then you also try to train to have some power fibers, they don't, it doesn't work. The, the body is more, uh, it, it, it's inclined to develop itself on an endurance level more than it is on a power level since most of the things we do in life, we're walking around with a normal out uh, heart rate output, et cetera, et cetera. So there really isn't anything you can do to offset it. But what I want you to know is that in addition, even if there were, your son is doing enough training with baseball on the field that for him to have to go and in his head think oh I can run power on the other days and run 40s etc it's taking away from his recovery time Uh, people watching the baseball player might think that oh well they can fit other things in but really and truly they've got a pretty hefty schedule so even if he Four days a week, ran power when he's running dur- endurance, four days a week um, with, his, uh, um, with his team, uh, it's going to offset it. It won't offset it. So let, let him do what he has to do, and, um, and that's that's the bottom line. There's nothing else you can do about it.
0: Oh my goodness. That's a surprising answer. I would have thought like you, you could just do your own sprinting and whatever on your on your own days. So that's that's a difficult quandary and that's all the more reason why we need to educate more of the coaches and get them listening to this podcast. That's why we do this is so that we can educate the coaches.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, uh, it never is the intent to go to coaches and say, hey, you don't know what you're doing. It is a shock to me that more haven't caught on because even at all the uh, conferences that I attend, you know, there's always someone who stands up and says, oh, guess what? We've just figured out pitchers should probably not be running distance. And I, I laugh because, you know, I've known this for a long time, but it does take... Baseball a while, and it depends on who's saying it. You know, baseball sometimes has very selective ears as to who they're listening to. But in in any case, you have the information. It's great for your son to know about this in his off season training, and uh and also too, there may be many coaches that are still open to to learning. And so, yeah right. so we're on cut. Just consider yourself on the cutting edge.
0: Yeah, cutting edge. So before. Before we move to the next question, I have my own question to follow up to this. I know a lot of coaches like to get their players warmed up by running a long distance, like like a long like a long jog. Is is that a bad idea? Just to get them warmed very up for practice? Bad. Really?
1: No, that's very bad. First of all, you'd first of all it, you're not warming them up when you make them do something that's going to fatigue them. And running for a mile is fatiguing, especially to an athlete who's not, uh, you know, designed to do that. Secondly, for uh, when you're running endurance and you're running beyond the 15, 20 second mark, you're accumulating lactic acid that the bodies of the baseball players really aren't designed to remove. So what you're gonna do is... um, you know, actually create a situation in the muscle where the muscle is not going to be able to remove it as fast as it's accumulating it. And once the muscle is filled, uh, you know, things happen to the performance of that muscle. Uh, On a third level, you don't do those kinds of things to warm up for a practice. You do running and things that affect the body uh, separately from practice. Skills always come first. When a a strength coach or coach who knows about sports training is organized, thing things. Uh, the skill always comes first and then you do the other things after. That's why you don't lift weights before practice. You don't run before practice. Uh, if it's separated by four, or six hours, you're you're probably going to be okay. Um, and of course, if you have to do that, you would want to look to see is it okay. And you could tell by your kids' performances. But no, you 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 warm up for a skill in very individual ways that actually warm you up for what you're going to be doing. For example, maybe you're doing some sort of um, thing where you know the hitting warm ups and the the arm warm up, the arm preparation programs done with bands the things that the, the things that you see them doing in the field where they're just doing a few runs when I designed a program for a high school out here they would do all the stuff you see pitchers on the field doing with uh, the whole players doing all the players doing them but you would see them running like you know a 90 like a 30 foot run and then they'd stop and they'd do maybe five or six of those and that would be it and and that would be a way to warm up but no you don't do any and endurance training is never a way to warm up for um, a skill unless it's an endurance run
0: right thank you angel that's yeah. really enlightening okay. and you know what you're going to do for your entire team is one thing specifically for pitchers though you already have something for the coaches the first pitch warm-up and recovery uh, program yeah. that it's available on your website at jimscience.com and that's yeah. probably the best thing that a pitcher could do to get himself warmed up right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is a great program. And I get I get letters all the time. And it, it's heartwarming. Uh, actually, I should say that my pitchers designed the program because I design things for them, they come to me and say they needed this, the program was designed in, in, in working order until, you know, three years after it'd been in use, coaches were saying, Can you write these down for me? Or can you like take a picture of this? And what and and before you knew it, it became a DVD. But these were designed, and they were successful because pitcher said it worked and so the pitchers getting their arm warmed up correctly is so critical and then of course recovering it so yeah that that's a great way to get that handled so anyway so yes warm-up's important and not doing something crazy like running a mile before that and I hope there aren't any coaches out there doing that
0: well I'm, I'm sure that there are because it's been going on for years I can think back twenty. 20- 25 years, we were doing it, but who knows? Anyway, so now the, the coaches who are listening are squared straight on that. And we have another question that you got from some of the coaches out there what was the next question that we had
1: yes and in fact I want to continue to invite uh, the burning questions that you have about mechanics and I'd like today to be about mechanics and troubleshooting mechanics because I got tons of questions on tons of parts of the pitching motion so what I want to do is I want to address um, two issues that I think kind of work together one is involving the downhill motion from the knee lift position and another is involving the front leg act at acceleration and they kind of go together so I want to tie them in but the question that this uh, uh, college coach had for me was uh, he wanted to know if and this is an interesting question because um, I've heard different comments on it it's an interesting part of the motion when the pitcher is lifting his knee to move into his knee lift should he at the same time be moving downhill coming off his back leg so i want all of you to picture yourself standing on the rear side of the picture when he's sideways okay so it's called the side rear view and you picture a pitcher, and this is the best way to see this. You can see it better this way than you can looking at him from the side front view. When the pitcher, so what he's saying is, as the pitcher lifts his knee up, and this doesn't matter if he's from the windup, but let's just picture it from the stretch. He takes his signs, he comes set, he lifts the knee. As he's lifting that knee to the highest point, Prior to his reaching the highest point, should he be coming off the back leg, starting his descent downhill? And this is a very interesting question. That And what I love about it is, if you understand the concept of why you even lift the leg, the question will answer itself. So the purpose of the knee lift and loading and having all your weight on one leg is to actually load the rear hip. And when I say the hip, let's talk about the side of the body up by, you know, if you took your hand out of your pocket, if you had your hand in your pocket in your jeans and you pulled it right to the side, exactly on the side, that's where the muscle is and it kind of wraps around to the back end a little bit in the butt direction. That muscle there is actually the muscle that moves the center of mass downhill. You, it's not the foot, it's not the knee. Everybody be clear about this, okay. So that muscle has to move, has to contract to move the center of mass downhill. When that muscle is at 15% longer than what it is when you're standing, meaning you want to have your weight way over on that. Let's talk about a right-handed picture, way over on that right hip. The purpose of that knee lift is to take the weight from the left side of the body, shift all of it over to the right side. And the minute you go onto one leg, the body starts to shift its center of mass to the standing leg. So now we've got the knee lift loading the back hip. And as the knee is raising, the right leg is actually loading even more and it's fully loaded when that knee is at the top of its height so in that position there we've got a full hip load if somebody in their little brain thinks wait a minute let's lift the knee only and as we're lifting it let's start our movement downhill because I think we're gonna and of course we've covered these errors before we're gonna get faster down the hill we're gonna do this down the hill et cetera, et cetera. you are obviating the reason why you lift the front leg so the front leg lift is to load the back hip and coaches think about this when you've got a runner on base all of you have your favorite way you want your pitchers to be quick to their front foot And many of the ways that you ask them to pitch is avoiding a front leg lift. Could be a slide step, it could be this or that. Because you are in your head saying, I don't want him loading too much weight in the opposite direction because we got a runner on base. We're trying to keep him on base. So intuitively you know that when the leg lifts, your body weight shifts in the other direction. Well, when you don't have anyone on base, your pitcher has all the control in the world to do that and take as long as he needs to do that. But the primary objective of the knee lift is to load the back hip so that when all the weight is on the leg, the bat, the hip muscle actually becomes pre-stretched, so it gives the most solid contraction, so the pitcher can have a powerful yet controlled downhill descent. So in answer to your question, coach, he would not start downhill before he completes the loading of the back hip. And you know, and this reminds me of another thing. So Joe, am I right about this, that, um, uh, cause you've played ball, Sometimes when someone's on base, um you'll see guys they'll use the slide step, but they almost look like their body weight is in the middle of their two legs. They'll they'll uh they'll almost look like they're halfway down the hill and then they just step out and go. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's definitely a good way to describe it. Yep.
1: Yeah. So what I do with my guys is when I have a pitcher come to me and I don't, I don't mess with anything unless there's an issue that's tied in. When you troubleshoot, if he says, I'm having trouble with this, he, it might be runners on base, I'm not fast enough to my front foot, then I look at the way he manages his slide step. And the slide step is the step that I love for pitchers, but I also see it done incorrectly. The slide step is so that you. what you're really getting from that is don't lift the knee, and don't go in the opposite direction because you wanna to get to your front foot. Well, the best way to have a slide step is to teach them to come set with that foot out, the, the lead leg, which on a right-handed pitcher would be his left leg, have his left leg be out like it's, you know, it's not gonna lift, so it's out a little more, but have his weight be on his right leg that's by the rubber. So he's standing in a shifted position already. So the minute he goes to move, his back hip is still working, his front leg does not lift, and he steps out and he's quicker to the plate that way because the muscle is in a position where it's fully stretched and then it can go. If he's standing in the middle of his two legs, meaning if you look at him from the back, you'll almost see him standing in the middle of a triangle then you're taking away the ability of the muscle that moves him downhill. So in a sense you subtract some muscle strength for having him look like he's closer to his front foot and in a sense you're gonna get not the same result. So with even a slide step, his weight should be shifted back onto the leg because the purpose is is to allow that muscle near the hip. I don't care if you're doing a slide step or what you're doing, if you're moving sideways the hip muscle is doing the job it does its job best when it's at length or a little bit beyond length if it's already contracted cuz you're halfway downhill when you start your slide step you're not getting it to work efficiently does that make sense joe did i say that clear enough
0: yeah it sounds like you you essentially want to preload your back your back hip as you before you even move your front foot you already want to be kind of loaded back that makes sense.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, the and the second issue I want to talk about uh, that this same coach wrote, and he was asking a really great question about the front leg. So, so we know that the purpose of the knee lift and the purpose of the first part of the motion is to get the whole body downhill. Now, the purpose of pitching is to release the ball with velocity and direction, meaning location. So if the purpose of pitching is to have as much velocity on the ball as that pitcher's capable of with that pitch, depending on the pitch type, and at location, we want that pitcher to release as close to the front plate as possible. And releasing close to the plate is, this is physics, the ball's, you know, traveling less of a distance, the, the velocity will be greater on a pitch. So that is an objective. And the The purpose of the pitching motion is to put the the pitcher in a position downhill where he can actually accelerate the ball in the way we want it, and for every pitcher, it's that he is throwing that at the velocity that he is able to do. You don't want part of the pitching motion to get in the way of that pitcher's normal velocity. So if you've got a pitcher moving downhill, and when he lands, he lands in such a way... That when he accelerates the ball, he actually straightens his knee backwards. And, you know, I was just watching Aaron Judge the other day. They were showing him from the side. Yay, he finally hit a home run again. Um, I was watching him, and he's got a beautiful, I'm not a hitting coach, but he moves. This guy knows how to use his body, okay? And you can really see it because he's so athletic. And I was really intrigued by the fact that most kids grow up being hitters. Uh, you know, they're, they're hitting. They, a lot of them don't let go of hitting for quite some time. So, But the front leg, you reach out and you weight shift like you do in pitching. But you, then you go backwards into your back leg. You straighten the front knee. Is that correct, Joe?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. Yeah, because
1: I mean. you're stabilizing. You don't want to go with the bat. You don't want to go with the ball you have to pull you have to go forward and pull back to stabilize at the same time so I think that's where it's so easy for some pitchers to have this error. So here goes a pitcher. He's he's get He's got the front leg bent when he lands. So everybody picture this. And picture him facing the hitter. He hasn't accelerated yet. He kind of looks like he's in a lunge position. You following me, Joe? I'm always yes. checking with you to make sure I'm being clear. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so right, he's yeah. in a lunge position. His knee is bent. Two types of pitchers. One is going to tilt his trunk forward over that bent leg. He's going to get the trunk out, his head out, his arm is with the trunk and head, and that hand gets released close to the plate. The back leg is coming up into a follow-through because he's going way over his front leg. The other pitcher, just as he's going forward, pulls the front knee backwards, And actually has a totally straight leg and it looks just like the straight leg of a powerful hitter that just swung a a bat full speed. And that movement of the, the knee backwards keeps the hips backwards so that now the pitcher's hand isn't as close to the plate as if he had a different style of release so there are two different types of pitchers the guy that pulls his knee backwards in fact this is such an interesting issue I was actually very intrigued by the coach that asked this he's a great coach he's it told me he's got a great eye and the, for him to be asking this question because I asked Glenn Fleissig a few years ago if he would do research on this because I told him I know these guys are diminishing their velocity because their center of mass is moving backwards. The only thing moving forward is their arm. But if you've got the length of your body getting over your front leg, you're releasing closer to the plate. And he went, wow. And when he says, wow, that means, hmm, this makes total sense. So the pitcher that gets over his front leg, he's he is using his front leg to brace him through behind the knee with his hamstrings. The pitcher that is straightening the front knee backwards is bracing up, with that quad with the quadricep in the knee the way a pitter braces up after impact of the uh, the swing so it's two different types of strength and actually i don't know why coaches don't catch that this pitcher could be throwing harder if he just didn't do that and he developed the correct kind of strength through his front hip um, uh, the rear hip of the front leg so that he could get more over the front leg. So when you're teaching, you don't teach to straighten the knee. Now, I know there's many schools of, uh, I, I've heard pitchers or coaches teach that, but I think they're mixing up some of the things that they've read about hitting, etc. It is a different type of motion and it is really and truly pulling the pitcher back. Now, Araldus Chapman, who I think has great mechanics, pulls his knee backward. And I've looked at him, and of course, he's bracing up the best he can for all his triple-digit pitches. But when I saw him doing that, I said, wow, if he did it the other way, think of how hard he'd be throwing. And everyone knows that. If his hand was six inches closer to the plate, which it would be, Think of what he would be throwing. But he's developed that style, so he's not going to change that. So the deal is, when you see that in a pitcher, I don't care if he's good or bad, there's improvement that he could have. So if he's at a young enough age, this is a time to get on top of that. But you don't want to teach that. It is a style, but it is not really the most efficient style for for wanting to produce velocity. Now, when we talked about the knee lift and we talked about Um, drifting off the back leg before you actually reach the top of your knee lift when you start to get that kind of motion downhill too soon it can actually create a stride that's inefficient and maybe a little too long because you're actually falling before you loaded because the muscle that's going to control you didn't get a chance to work with the loading And that placement of that foot could be a little bit too far away. So instead of getting over the leg, your best bet is to pull the knee backward. So if a pitcher has a stride that's too long, like everyone can picture Tim Lincecum, his stride was too long because of the style with which he created it, and he had no choice but to pull the knee backwards. Anybody in a situation of stabilization, if you're not in the right position to do it the right way, your body will figure out how to do it the next best way. So yes, he Lincecum would stabilize by pulling the knee backwards, so does Chapman, but their hand, they, they actually lost miles per hour because of it. Didn't mean they were a bad pitcher but in terms of looking at efficiency, so if either one of them said, I need four more miles per hour, I'd say, well let's let's get you closer to the plate with your hand, not your foot and that therefore be able to go ahead of your foot when you release, not behind it. Does that make sense, Joe?
0: Yeah, it makes a heck of a lot of sense And you know we see a lot of that that issue with the with the front knee locking up. And pitchers not getting over their front leg, and the irony, I believe, is that so many pitchers are taught to stride further than they really need to, because a lot of people think that in order to get the hand closer to the plate, you need to stride further. And, and a lot of pitchers, I've seen it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to call out anybody, but I've seen a lot of cases where uh, pitchers are taught to just overstride. With the idea yeah, being sure. that they get the hand closer to the plate. But the irony is that when they do that, when you overstride, very often what happens is you get that, that issue that you're talking about where, th- where the knee causes the whole body to, to come back.
1: Yes, and in fact, you know, getting the hand closer to the plate is language that I use. I've never really had anybody. I mean, I'm sure as I say it, every pitching coach is going, "Yeah, of course, we want you to release closer to the plate." But really, the language that's used in baseball is to stride as close to the plate as possible. Get your get your stride as long as possible. That is a philosophy. But when I started studying, and and actually, you know, all the things that were said, I just put in a little list saying, "Oh, okay, this is what the." They say this must be true. And it wasn't, it was, you know, after studying the kinesiology of pitching and the biomechanics, then I started connecting dots saying, wait a minute, if you're doing this and you're pulling the knee back, look at the hips, and if you watch from the side, you'll see that the pitcher, wherever he starts to pull the knee back, his body stops the forward motion. With a pitcher that's going over his front leg, his trunk and head and arm are still going forward, but the but his, his butt is stabilizing him in a different way. His lead leg uh, hip muscle, the extensors, are in a specific type of contraction, and behind the knee is contracting a specific way. So the shoulders are actually out in front of the foot. And what's funny is, a lot of them project that after they throw the ball into their follow through so it's not like they don't know how to get over their leg but they're coming from behind on their release so yes it is an unusual thing but people have to remember you want the hand close and your hand gets closer if you i mean if you're reaching for something as far as you can to reach towards something you're grabbing you're going to move from the hip to reach forward you're not going to straighten your knee and pull your body backward and then reach and everybody should try it they should get into an acceleration position put your hand out straight get into what looks like acceleration pull the knee backward and then bend the knee and move forward and trust me and there was a professional pitcher that i actually that hired me within three seconds of he i showed him his release and i marked his release on a wall i marked it where his hand was i was in a gym actually demonstrating so then i had him do a different style of being over the front leg and i marked that on the wall and that that mark were they were about 13 inches apart And I'm serious. He picked up the phone and hired me because he said, this is like insane. He did not know that this was, you know, I mean, because it made so much sense. Then, of course, the deal is teaching the pitcher to be strong enough. This is a strength issue. And remember, pitchers repeat a pattern that works. That works for Chapman. And he's doing great. But if he wanted to throw 108 or 110, he'd have to release closer to the plate. There's there's nothing left for him to do because the variables of velocity are either you're rotating faster, your shoulders going faster, your elbows going faster, or the simplest one, don't do anything different with your body. Do something different with your leg. And your hand is out there further. I mean, which thing would you pick if you were throwing 103 miles an hour and wanted to throw harder?
0: If I was throwing 103, <laughs> I wouldn't be worrying about throwing harder.
1: Well, hey, you know what? Uh, a lot of guys are climbing up there. So nowadays, it's like, but I mean, I'm. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Using that extreme example. Right. So, and I always tell my pitchers, let's look at all the places where you because they all come to me and say, I got to throw harder. I mean, the guy that's throwing 88 knows if he doesn't get to 91, he's in trouble and that guy when he sees something simple like this he's like i'm in you know let's do it and they love it and they feel it and when they're out in front you know and and there's a whole different sense of going forward using your leg your legs and hips to keep you backward instead of going forward and then pulling backward with your lower body and trying to get forward with your arm big difference so anyway so coach you know who you are thank you so much for sending in your great questions and joe i want the coaches to keep sending in questions in fact i have a few more from this wonderful coach and i'm going to make sure we cover them maybe in the next one but um, i'm uh, committed to helping coaches and they're listening and i appreciate it and i love that they're thinking
0: Yeah, you know, coaches, uh, as we say every episode, you know, do you have a question for Angel? Send her an email at angel at gymscience.com or you can reach her on our Facebook page or you can send a a tweet over to me at Fixing Pictures. You know, we will address your questions on the show and and help you out. So uh, usually you're the one who's throwing me off at the end of every show with your, you know, keeping secrets and mysteries and all wow. that sort of thing. So since it's the, since we're getting into the fall, I feel like it's my turn to do that to you and turn the tables a little bit. So I have a question for you because I know that uh, in your business of troubleshooting pitching mechanics that you have helped pitchers who don't live near you. You, you can actually give lessons and, and troubleshoot mechanics with pitchers that are like on my coast over here on the East Coast and you're on the West Coast. And I always wondered... How the heck do you do that? So could you just really quickly give me an overview on how you are able to troubleshoot mechanics when you're not even in the same ballpark as, as the pitcher?
1: Okay. Well, um, yeah, actually, uh, okay. So, uh, you did, you did, I, I swear you, you, you should have been a pitcher. You just threw me a curveball. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, so well ev- whether pitchers fly out here or not everything from somebody who doesn't live here starts the same which is that I do an analysis of the film because I also I want to be sure that he's somebody that I feel can help whether he wants to fly out or not so I have uh, you know I, I do what a lot of coaches do which which is a long distance uh, film analysis they send video which I send specific instructions on what I need to see and then I analyze it and then I give them feedback which is pretty 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 much the formula that most coaches use. But what I do that's different because of my abilities and because of the way that I troubleshoot, which is different than the way a pitching coach troubleshoots. So that's one type of analysis where they're doing a pitching coach thing. What I do that's different is I do my analysis just kind of the way you hear me teaching. So, for example, uh, when in everything that I do, you know that I'm uh, when you troubleshoot mechanics from a qualitative scientific standpoint, you're looking at all the errors that a pitcher makes, but then you're determining what is the cause of that error. So when I'm looking at film, I'm looking at things in slow motion and still still shotting most things to stop it, to see what the error is. Then I back it up and then I find the cause of it. And then I'm able to come up with the list of the hierarchy of things that need to be changed. So I might see 30 things that are wrong. But there might be three things that are causing the rest of the 27 things. So then I I know where I'm going to start. And out of those three things, I also know that there's a place that I start. And when I do that one adjustment, then the rest are going to change as well. So what I love about my system, because I resisted doing long distance analysis for a long time, because I was like, well, how can I help people long distance? So what I did is I developed a visual feedback system. So instead of getting a long letter from me with all those 30 things, I develop still shots of the pitcher's motion. So I'm looking at his motion and let's say I see something that's off and then I go and I find the cause. I create a visual still shot photographic presentation and then when I give my feedback to the client, which takes about an hour to an hour and a half. He calls me, we do Skype. I have have sent him a whole battery of picture, pictures, photos, they may be side by side, they may be eight frames where I'm actually showing and still shot the progression of an error and how it starts. But through that mechanism, I'm able to show the pitcher exactly where in the motion there's an issue. And I deal with it issue by issue. So let's say a pitcher has a glove arm issue, maybe he has a balance point issue. Every issue dealt with separately the error itself and then the cause of it so that the pitcher can clearly see the progression of what's going on with his motion and what the causes of certain errors are. So that part of the analysis is sort of like the blood test depending where you get the results, you see what's happening, you don't have the solution yet. And then based on whatever is going on, then we construct possible ways to solve the problem. Or sometimes I'm dealing with a coach who all he needs is to know, just like with the coach I just instructed on with the two questions he had. He's an experienced coach who's going to be able to take my information and go in his own way and make those corrections. And many times when it's a coach sending video of one of his pitchers he's good to go. If it's a father or a pitcher himself, then we deal with it slightly differently and I create or do whatever I can. And we do those by Skype, but always with video and with photographs. So things are as kinesthetic as they possibly can be. And that's how it's done. And uh, it it works really great because uh, there's so many people that listen to the podcast and they become interested in, uh, you know, wanting to have more information. So, and I love helping as many people as I can, especially coaches, the coaches that have pictures and they're lost and they're like, okay, how do I get this fixed? They're, they're great clients because um, they have their own creative ways to make changes. All they need to know is what, what am I seeing here that I can't quite put my finger on? And it's uh, always great to have that experience with them.
0: Yeah. And. I think I think the best way for for any uh, pitching instructor or troubleshooter to work is is through the coach so that you know it, it it almost always has a a strong a stronger bond and a stronger connection with the pitcher when it when you have yeah. the 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 coach or the pitching coach involved as well
1: yeah, and you know, teams can't, you know, I mean, the day and I hope there's going to be a day where every team has somebody on their staff that does what I do. But for right now, it's the baseball guys. And so for baseball coaches to become better at looking at film, to, to really, I, as I've always said, you've got great eyes, you, you kind of know, just like these two questions that came. This is an intricate question of when the knee lower, does the body move off the leg before the knee reaches its height? The knee pull back, those are very detailed things. I was impressed with those questions. This is how good some pitching coaches are and some coaches, you've got great eyes, but you can't always put it all together because it's not your thing. You know, you were off learning baseball while I was sitting in a classroom. So, yeah, I think that, you know, uh, I love helping coaches and any coach out there that thinks I can be of some help. That would be fantastic. But, yeah, the day and age of getting more information into the coach's head, I think, is the way we can save our pitchers.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. So I I think that's about it for our Part 3 of the Fall Ball Reboot. Is there anything that I missed?
1: No, I think we're good. All right.
0: Well, that, that was a fact-filled show with a lot of, I mean, it's probably shorter than, than most of our episodes, but man, I feel like I, I learned a heck of a lot. In that short
1: time. Yeah, I think it's great. And thank you so much for the questions and uh, keep them coming.
0: Yeah, Angel, thank you so much for for providing all this information for, for the coaches and for me. I, I really appreciate it.
1: That's great. You're very welcome. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Fix. Please pass along to another pitcher, coach, or parent. Please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you have no idea what a podcast is, go to the App Store on your smartphone and search for Baseball Pitching the Fix, and you can download our app. If you want to learn more about Angel, you can go to her website. It's gymscience.com. You can also email her, angel at gymscience. For more about me, Joe Janish, you can visit fixingpitchers.com, and you can also hit me up on Twitter, at pitchers. Both Angel and I hope that you learned something this episode. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. And in the meantime, we wish you safe and effective performance on the Pitching Man.